When I lived in East Texas, when, uh, we had our first church in East Texas. I built my first church there from scratch in a little town called Quit Man. We used Quitman, Quitman. And we used to say, never quit, man. Quitman. It was spelled that way. But now, we lived in the country. We built a, built a house on a couple of acres. And in our backyard, down a hill, flowed this beautiful stream. It just gorgeous. The deer would come down and drink out of it uh, during the winter and, well, really all the time. It was just a beautiful, beautiful place. It was kind of like Mayberry. Amen. Do you ever want to live in Mayberry? It's kind of like Mayberry. And, um, but in the springtime, when all the rain would come, this, this creek, that was, it was a nice-sized creek, but it became a raging torrent. And the only way that you could cross it is there were some stones that we placed there. And um, even when it rose high, you could still walk across these stones. There was no bridge. You had to walk across several stones, stepping stones, to get to the other side. Now, I've often thought of that in relation to prayer. Because when we pray, sometimes the hard part is not the praying, it's the waiting. It's the waiting. It's getting to the other side of answer. You ask and then you get an answer, the promise to the provision. And it's like sometimes like crossing over a raging stream. You wonder how long is God going to take and your patience is tested and it becomes a timing issue. And, and so you need stepping stones to get to the other side. You need stepping stones. So I'm going to share with you today out of my favorite psalm of all psalms in my Bible, this page, the page where this psalm is, is brown. It's so used up. I've had to, I've had to scotch tape it. I've read this psalm so many times. And there's four stepping stones in this psalm that help you get from promise to provision, asking to the answer. How many of you have got a prayer in God's oven and you're waiting for him to deliver it to your table? Come on. All right. So let's read then the stepping stones. Psalms 37, 1 to 7. This is out of the Living Bible, and it's so good. And now he is speaking. This is David, and he's talking to uh, not only to himself, but to people who are frustrated that the wicked are prospering. Do you ever feel that way? Why are these rich people that live in sin, doesn't seem like anything ever happens to them. Well, that's the beginning of the psalm, but then you begin to see this psalm is also about how, what to step on, what, what, how to carry yourself across from promise to provision. It gives four stepping stones. So here they are. Don't fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they'll soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Amen. Dwell on the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you. Now, this is a prayer verse. Take delight in the Lord. He'll give you. He'll give you. That's prayer. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Another version says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Amen. Amen. Now, that is prayer advice, and there's four stepping stones. I want you to say them with me. Trust, delight, 
surrender, rest. That's the stepping stones. Trust, delight, surrender, rest. So we're going to step across. We're going we're to see how to walk on these stepping stones, waiting for God to answer prayer. Lord, we just thank you for these incredible stepping stones, this, this wisdom that you have given to us to carry us, that we can stand on, walk on, to walk across that, that river from promise to provision. And we thank you for it, Lord. Now make it live to us today. Make it alive. Make it quicken us with the truth of this word. Now, church, breathe a prayer with me, would you? And say, Lord, I need help with my prayer life. Lord, help me to understand this today and transform my prayer life. In Jesus' name, help me to know how to wait between promise and provision. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn to your neighbor and tell him, God heard that prayer. He heard that prayer. Amen. Now, I just want to deal with these stepping stones. It's a very simple word, but, you know, simplicity is what we need. Uh, we, we just need to have it put plain to us, don't we? Amen? So let me just deal with these four stepping stones. So here it is. We've prayed, and, and, and we have asked God to do whatever. Lord, I, I need a job. I need a relationship. I need, I need healing. I need deliverance. I need this and I need that. Now, Lord, I'm giving you my prayer, or I'm praying for this person to be saved. I'm praying for this person who I know who has strayed away, for them to come home. Lord, I'm praying. I've given you this prayer. And you know that God heard you. And so when you get up and you walk away from your prayer time, how do you comport yourself? How do you carry yourself? What stepping stones do you walk on to carry you from promise to provision? So that when the provision comes, you're not all freaked out and you've lost your nerves and you barely made it to the other side or you've given up altogether and quit praying. No, we want to go from prayer to provision. Amen? So how do you do it? Well, he says, it all begins with trust. Trust him. Can we say that together? Trust him. Oh, it matters what you believe about God. David says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. So once we pray, the very first thing we need to do is trust, trust. Now, I say all the time, I'm a broken record with this, but I'm going to say it again. It matters what you believe about God. It matters so much what you believe about God. We have to believe that God is trustworthy or we will never trust him to answer a prayer. You know, every relationship in our life is built on trust. Your marriage is built on trust. Friendships are built on trust. If you've got a friendship and, and you begin to lose trust in your friend, I guarantee you that friendship is over because friendships are built on trust. If you're in a marriage and you start tr- distrusting, mistrusting your spouse, then that marriage is in trouble until trust can be reestablished because a marriage relationship, the foundation of that relationship is trust. You trust their character. You trust their covenant. You trust their ability to keep a promise, to be true, to be faithful. That's what marriage is built on. It's the same with God. We've got to trust the God that we say we believe in and who has sent his son to die for our sins. 
He says, trust in the Lord. In another place, the proverb says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not some of your heart, not most of it, not a little bit of it, not from time to time, but trust in the Lord with all your being, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You've got to trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In other words, don't let your trust in him be dictated by the way circumstances look. But let your trust in him be planted and rooted in what you believe about his character. What do you believe about the character of God? David says, after you prayed, you've got to walk away with trust so that you don't faint. So the first stepping stone is trust. All prayer rests on trusting in the character of God. Isn't it funny how the devil, one of the devil's biggest tricks is to attack God's character to you and me in the theater of our minds. He attacks God's character. This is what he did with Eve in the garden. He said, really, Eve, do you really believe that's what God said? Hath God said? And, and hey, Eve, God, had, uh, he didn't tell you not to eat of that tree because you're going to die. He didn't want you to eat of that tree because he didn't want you to be like him. Now, see, that's an attack against the character of God. In other words, translated Eve, God was pulling a fast one over on you. He's really holding back from you. There's something good he doesn't want you to have. And when she started mistrusting the character of God, that's when she took of the fruit and ate. See, the weeds of worry grow in the soil of mistrust in God. If you're worried about something in your life, you're basically saying, I don't trust God. Come on, everybody. Amen? See, if, if I'm worried that I'm not going to have bread to eat or, or clothes to wear, Jesus said that's worry. And Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. D- don't worry about your life, for life is more than food and clothes. He said, I want you to trust God. And if you seek first the kingdom of God... He will take care of every one of your needs because worry is is backward faith. You're really believing something bad is going to happen. Well, that's not what my Bible tells me. My Bible tells me something good is going to happen to me if I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen? God is going to lead my steps. If I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm headed to heaven, not to hell. I'm blessed, not cursed. I have joy, not depression. If I'm following the Lord, he's going to give me good things. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But Jesus said first, or David said, he said, first, after you've prayed, trust in the Lord. See, when trust falters, faith wilts. Because our faith is built on what we believe about God. See, if I believe he's a God of healing, I'm going to believe him to heal me. If I believe he's a God of peace, I'm going to ask him for peace. If I believe he can save me as a God of salvation, I'm going to turn to him for salvation. If I believe he's an angry God sitting there in heaven waiting for me to make a mistake and there's steam coming out of his eyes and he's got a furrowed brow and he's mad at me most of the time, am I going to pray to him? Not much. See, it matters what I believe about God. Is he trustworthy? Is he a God of his word? Does he keep his promises? How do you view God? What do you think about God when you think about God? See, our answers to those questions 
will decide the strength of our faith. And the strength of our faith will decide our prayer life, not only when we pray, but how we walk after we've prayed before the provision comes. This is why God continuously in the Bible assures us of his trustworthy character all through the Bible. He tells us who he is. You know, I thank God for the Bible. Without the Bible, we would be sunk. Amen? Because everything I need to know about God is told me in the Bible. The Bible tells me what he's like. I would never discover it on my own. I would never study things on my own and come to the right conclusions about God. I must be told what God is like. And the Bible is a book of revelation where God has decided to unveil himself, to reveal himself, to show us what he's like. So let me show you what he's like. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God. Everybody say faithful. That means I can trust him. 2 Thessalonians says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Amen. 1 Corinthians says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now notice the word over and over again. He's faithful. He's faithful. God is faithful. That means he's never going to walk out on you. He's never going to leave you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. When everybody else walks out, he walks in. When everybody else rejects you, he accepts you. When no one seems to love you, he loves you more than you could ever know. He is a faithful God. And he said, I'm going to walk with you to the end of your life. And then I'm going to take you into glory because I'm a faithful God. First Corinthians. One of our favorites here. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And it says he's faithful to open an escape hatch when you're in temptation. First John 1, 9, uh, one, another worn-out verse in my Bible. If we confess our sins, he is, say it with me, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I love Numbers because Numbers tells us God is not man that he should lie. Aren't you glad that our God is not a man? Amen? How many of you have been lied to? Come on, raise your hand. You've been lied to. Doesn't it hurt to be lied to? But let me tell you something that's impossible to God. He will never tell you one thing and do another. He will never lie to you. Our God, it's impossible for God to tell a lie. So if he says it, he's going to do it. He says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? That's a rhetorical question. And the answer is, no, he will never say it and not do it. He will never promise it and not carry through. He watches over his word to perform it. He makes sure that what he promises, he brings to pass. We serve a faithful, dependable, loyal God who will never let us down. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. He saved you. He sanctified you. He's carrying you. He's strengthening you. He's guiding you. He's delivering you. He's healing you. And one day, a trumpet's going to blow, and he's going to take you to glory for all eternity. Amen. He's faithful. Come on, everybody. 
Say with me, he's faithful. faithful. Amen. Aren't you glad he's faithful? So David first says, after you've prayed, feed on his faithfulness. Focus on his faithfulness. Meditate on his faithfulness and remind yourself of his faithfulness. After you've prayed, well, I pray, but he's faithful. It may take a while, but he's faithful. It may not be done in my timing, but he's faithful. He is not going to let me down. And then David says, after you have trusted him and his character, delight in him. Delight in him. So trust, delight. He says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's a prayer verse. Delight. Look at the connection between delighting in God and prayer being answered. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So delighting in him is entwined with God giving us what we've asked for. Now, if you're going to delight in somebody, you got to know them. You can't delight in somebody you don't know. You you can't delight in somebody until you discover they are delightful. They got to be delightful if I'm going to delight in them. Amen? You know, some people you meet and you walk away going, what a delightful person. Amen? What a delightful person. I'd like to get to know them because they're so far, they're delightful. Now, see, we can delight in God. But how do you delight in God that you cannot see? We can't see him. Having not seen him, yet we love him, but we can't see him. So how can you delight in him? Well, the only way you're going to get to know God is through the word of God. Uh, Once again, the word of God tells us so many things that are delightful about him that when you let the word of God inform your faith and inform what you believe about God, then you conclude, you must conclude, he's delightful. Our God is a delightful God. Amen? Well, I said amen. Amen. Our God's delightful. How many of you have discovered he's delightful? Amen. He's delightful. Now, a lot of people believe this about God out there in the culture. They would say he's mean. He's distant. He can't be reached. He's unapproachable. He's unattainable. You can never really know him. He's untouchable. But that's not true. Jesus brought God close. Jesus said, look at me. And if you want to know what God is like, look at me. If you want to see God, watch me, because as I am, he is. I am a perfect mirror reflection of God. And so when you watch me, the way I love people, the way I carry myself, the way I'm good, I go about everywhere doing good, healing all that are oppressed of the devil. Everywhere Jesus went, the devil had to leave. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought joy. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought peace and celebration and deliverance. Everywhere Jesus went, he turned night to day. He turned sorrow to joy. Everywhere Jesus went, he did good. He said, if you see me, you're seeing God. He's delightful. Our God is delightful. And once we learn that, then we can delight in a delightful God. Let me just give you some some ways that he's delightful. He's a merciful and a loving God. He's a merciful and a loving God. The Bible says his compassion never ends. It is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. If you can say amen to that, say amen. How many of you know you'd be destroyed if not for Christ? Amen. But he goes on, great is his faithfulness, his loving kindness begins afresh each day. Another version puts it, his mercies are new every single morning. Now I want you to look at the delightful God here. Every morning, God says, I love you. Every morning, 
Now, I believe that we ought to every day tell the people in our orbit, our family, our spouses, our children, the people that God has given to us to relate to and fellowship with and to be close to us, you need to tell them you love them. Tell them you love them every day. Tell them you love them every day because life is quick. Life is fast. And and so I I try to remember, I tell Cindy every day, she tells me I love you. She tells me I I love you too, right? Okay. (laughs) Several times a day, she's a lover. She loves. She gets on the phone, I love you. I hear her tell people all day long she loves them. But now here's the deal. Tell people you love them. If we, being imperfect, can remember to tell those near us that we love them, then isn't our Heavenly Father who is perfect, doesn't he say to us every day, I love you, I love you, I love you so much, I'm giving you fresh mercy every morning. You might as well use up today's mercy because you're going to have fresh mercy tomorrow. Amen. He gives mercy every day. He lays up mercy for us every day. He lays mercy up like they gather the manna every morning. God made sure that it was there and they gather that manna so they could eat every morning. God says, I'm giving you the manna of my mercy and my compassion. My compassions never end. My mercies are new every day. I am faithful. I am loving. I am kind. I am good. And I love you each and every day. And that equates into delightful. Amen. Isn't he delightful? Don't let the devil lie to you about God. God loved you enough that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. He watched Jesus die on that cross of shame and pain. He watched Jesus give up his life's blood. He watched Jesus be put into a borrowed grave. He watched them beat him and pluck out his beard and throw and, and push those terrible thorns down on his head. And it, with everything that happened to Jesus, God was shouting to the world, I love you. I love you more than you could ever comprehend, conceptualize in your mind. You will never be able to plumb the depths of his love, understand the width of his love, fully grasp the height of his love. His love is greater, stronger, deeper, wider than we can ever get our hands around. But I want you to know he loves you today and he's delightful. Amen. He's so delightful that he's a giving God. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? He's a giving God. Hey, you give me a friend who's giving to me all the time, they're delightful real quick. Amen? And he's patient with our flaws. It says the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are, and he remembers that we are only dust. He knows how weak we are. He, he, he's, he's patient with our flaws. Uh, you know, he's not just the God of the second chance. I don't even like that phrase anymore. I used to say, he's a God of the second chance. I used to preach it real hard. But now I've realized if that's all he is, I would have been done a long time ago. I need a God of the 10th chance, 20th chance, 100th chance, 1,000th chance, millionth chance. Amen? He is a God who always forgives. Thank God for a patient God, patient with our flaws. In other places, we're told he's long-suffering, forgiving, 
faithful, the giver of hope, strength, encouragement, new beginnings, fresh horizons. When we're hurting, he comforts us. When we fail, he encourages us. When we're lonely, he comes alongside us. When we're struggling, he strengthens us. He is a delightful God that I can delight in. So when we consider the God of the Bible, and after we have prayed, David says, I want you to keep in your mind the next stepping stone across that, that, that creek, of that river of waiting. That next stepping stone is remind yourself, remind yourself, remind yourself. He, we can not only trust him, but we can delight in him and delight in him. Delight in the giver and not just the gift. Delight in the giver before the gift arrives. Amen? No wonder David compared God to a wonderful feast. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. So after you pray, say with me, trust him, delight in him. Can we just lift our hands for a minute and say, Lord, I delight in you right now. I'm so thankful that you're a good God. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness Thank you that we can delight in you. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that because of Jesus, we can relate to you and have relationship with you and pray to you and trust you implicitly and even delight in you. Amen. Let's give him a hand of praise today. Thank you, Lord. Now, the next thing, David says, after you've trusted him and delighted in him, you need to surrender all surrender all. He says, commit your way to the Lord. This is verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. That means commit everything that you do, every way you take, every path you choose, every road you go down, every decision you make, every person you run with, everything in your life. Be sure you run it through the sifter of God's will and be sure that, that as you wait on him to answer prayer, that you surrender all, that you have walked the path of surrender. Be sure the path you're walking down is the path of surrender. And here's why. Because sometimes the Lord can't answer our prayer because there's a boulder in the middle of the king's highway. There's a boulder in the middle of the king's highway. There's something that's stopping us from being able to go down that road because it's something we have not surrendered. Now, listen carefully to me. You know I love to cycle. I love to cycle. It's my hobby. And I'll, I'll get out there on my bike, and I'll go 20, 30 miles. And, and uh, as, as I'm going, I go down a little cement um, bike trail that the city was good enough to build. And it's two-way. So you can have a bike going this way and a bike coming this way or people walking this way and others walking this way. So it's a, it's a two-way sidewalk, and, 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 and I love it because you ride the river for 30 miles. I love it. It's beautiful. You ought to do it. You're welcome to come with me anytime. I heard some of you thinking, 30 miles? God bless you, Jeff. All right, now, one day I'm barreling down that sidewalk. I'm barreling down that trail, and suddenly I see this great big fallen branch has totally crashed down on the sidewalk. And I was booking, and I had to hit the brakes and I came to a stop, and I looked real quick and sized up the situation and realized no way I can go through it, over it, under it, or around it. I got to move it. And I had to get out and pick up this great big heavy branch and put it out of the way so I could continue my journey. 
And see, sometimes in our journey, we come up against branches like that. We're going down the highway of life. Everything is great. And suddenly, here's this branch. And often, it is something God is asking us to surrender. Now, I've learned this about God. If you're really hanging on to something tight and he says, let it go, no matter how badly you think you need it, if you let go, you experience peace and freedom and liberty. And when you let something go, then that opens your hand to receive something better. Amen? And a lot of walking with Jesus is learning to let go so we can receive something better. When I was living in East Texas, uh, some friends of mine had this beautiful golden retriever. And this golden retriever could catch a Frisbee like you cannot believe. He would chase a Frisbee. You could throw that Frisbee as hard as you possibly could. With him standing right next to you when you released it, he would chase that thing down and grab it in his mouth, poetry in motion, before it ever hit the ground. Now, I used to go out there and play with him and throw it. He was called Honeybee. Honeybee. And I used to go out there and, and throw the Frisbee to Honeybee. One day I got an idea. I know it was devious. Don't get on to me for it. But I thought, what would he do if when a Frisbee has already been thrown, I threw another one? Because what he would do is he would catch it, and he would come back to me with this Frisbee in his mouth like, see, there is nothing you can throw that I can't get. But I thought, what is he going to do when he's on his way back to me with one and I throw another? Well, I decided to find out. So I threw one way out there. Honeybee chased it down, grabbed it in her mouth, was running back to me with the Frisbee. And then I did this and threw another one. And that dog went cross-eyed. <laughs> and I could see the dog thinking dog thoughts. And the dog thought was, well, I've got this old Frisbee, but here comes something new. So he made a dog decision. And he said, I'm going to let go of the old so that I can grab the new. So you can see he looked up, looked down, looked at me, looked up, looked down, looked at me, and poof, he spit out that Frisbee and chased down the new one. And I thought, he's got more wisdom than a lot of believers because sometimes... Come on, everybody. Sometimes you've been walking around with an old Frisbee in your mouth, and God says, I want to do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. But you're going to have to spit out the old to receive the new. Come on. So some of you today need to do some spitting. Spit out that old Frisbee because God wants to do a new thing. Now here, surrender. Walking with Jesus is so often letting the old Frisbee go so you can receive the new. Surrender all. Surrender all. The quality of your walk with God will be in direct proportion to your level of surrender. Listen. I have learned, my experience is that moving forward to the next level with God almost always requires surrendering something. And I got to let go. Honeybee did right. And she was so proud of herself, coming up to me, that new Frisbee, uh-huh, I got the new one. Now, 
See, I have learned when God says let it go, I can let it go, and I'm going to be blessed when I let it go because something better is going to come into my hand. you got to let go to move forward. you got to let go of the past. There is an old Frisbee. you got to let go of your past, your past mistakes, your past failures, your past setbacks. you got to let go. That's an old Frisbee. Why are you hanging on to that? Let go because God wants to do a new thing. Shall you not know it? He is making a road in the wilderness, and he's making streams in the desert. But you've got to let go of the past. Paul said, letting go of things behind me so I can reach forward to things that are ahead of me. Sometimes you've got to let go of, of, of that habit, or you've got to let go of that, that person. I'm not talking about your spouse. Don't go out of here and say, I told you to get divorced. But I'm saying sometimes it's that old friendship and it's tearing you down and it's become toxic and you've got to let go. Sometimes, listen, God, we talk about waiting on God, but sometimes God's waiting on us. Before he can guide us, we've got to surrender our own way. Before he can use us, we've got to surrender our pride. Before he can fill us, we've got to surrender our emptiness. Before we can follow him, we've got to surrender our all. Peter said to Jesus, He said, we have left all we had to follow you. Left all we had. Peter is saying, we had to make a divine exchange. We had to give up the boat, the net, the job, our home. We had to surrender in order to follow you. But look what we gained following you. Trusting, delighting, and surrendering all lead to resting. That's the fourth stepping stone. I'm going to close quickly with this. He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. The original Hebrew reads, hush, be still. Hush, be still. Remember those words? Jesus spoke to the storm at sea. He said, peace, be still. Same words. Hush, be still, peace, be still. And it all came to a placid calm. And this speaks to what happens inside of us. Because most of the storms that we experience are inside And he says, once you trust him and are delighting in him and have surrendered to him, then and only then can you rest in him. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I say to you that the first three are prerequisites to the last one. When I trust and delight, and, and surrender, then I experience the peace that passes all understanding. And I've stepped across that fourth stone across the river now, and I'm in perfectly positioned to receive the answer. Amen? So let's stand together today, can we? Amen, amen. God is good. Can we lift our hands to him? Jesus, we thank you that you are totally trustworthy. Totally easy to delight in you. Thank you, Lord, that we can confidently surrender anything and everything you point out in our life. And when we do, we position ourselves for a new thing. Now it shall come forth. Shall you not know it, recognize it, see it? 
All kinds of things begin to happen once you trust, delight, surrender, and rest. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you need to have a moment of surrender, a moment of saying, Lord, forgive me for lack of trust. Lord, forgive me that I've been complaining and not delighting in you. So easy to do. This speaker has done it more times than I care to admit. But thank God he always was patient with my flaws. If you just need to rest in the Lord, just say, Lord, I need your rest. Thank you, Lord. Now we're going to have just a moment of worship. And as we worship... Whichever of those four you need to do, maybe all of them, maybe get back on that track. Maybe say, I'm going to need to step on the first stepping stone, trusting Him. Return to the place of trust. As we sing, I want you to take that time to talk to the Lord because He's here. He's here. And get it right, and then we're going to pray together before we